great celebration last week it was such a great celebration of our, our 50th anniversary as a church and just want to say thanks again to anyone that was involved in in the planning uh, the preparation the decorating uh, the setup the tear down just a, a great meal together uh, just a great weekend of worship just thanks for for all who were a part <clears throat> so today we begin a new message series from the book of philippians and this four chapter book is one i want you to be reading this month just to get saturated with the theme and, and the theme is joy finding joy in, in our lives and so this afternoon why don't you read chapter one and then this week read chapter two in preparation for our, our next message and and then the following week, chapter three, and then the last week, chapter four. Today's message is entitled, Finding Joy When Mistreated. The older gentleman had gotten engaged and had called a minister and asked him to perform the wedding ceremony. And the minister met the man at the nursing home and he asked some standard questions in the way of background. He said, why do you want to marry her? Do you love her? Nope, can't say that I do. <clears throat> is she beautiful? Not really. Is she rich? I don't know. Then why is it that you are so intent on marrying her? And the old man answered honestly, because she can drive at night. <laughs> well, at times we've all felt ourselves getting overwhelmed with pressure and and veering toward the negative side of things. And the Apostle Paul sent this message, the book of Philippians, for such times as, as that. In the first chapter of this New Testament book of Philippians, Paul shares three insights designed to help us discover and maintain joy. Today, I, I want you to realize that living life with joy is a choice. In Paul's most personal letter, he writes in the midst of great difficulty, yet he holds out a, a message of hope. And we can learn from Paul's attitude when he faced difficulties. In order to have joy when mistreated, we must choose to focus on the good, not the bad. When facing problems, we tend to focus on the bad. That's our, our human tendency. We expect the good, and we often fail to appreciate it. And then we curse or emphasize the bad. Instead of seeing life's glasses half full, we complain because it's half empty. Paul was imprisoned in Rome. He was restricted. He was awaiting trial. The threat of probable execution was looming overhead. The writing of this letter was about A.D. 60. And in spite of all that Paul was facing, he could say in verse 19 of our text here in Philippians 1, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. There's an old poem that reminds us that we see that on which we focus. It talks about our perspective. And the poem simply says, two men stood behind prison bars, one saw mud, the other 
stars. It depends on our focus. So we must focus on the good, not the bad. Proverbs 15, 15 says, the joyful heart has a continual feast. Today, I don't want to minimize whatever specific trial you are facing. I I do want to encourage you that God is capable of working good out of bad circumstances. He, He did it for Paul and he can do it for us. And it begins when we count our blessings, focusing on what we have instead of what we don't have. And when we emphasize the good, not the bad. An elderly lady was crossing the Atlantic Ocean by ship when a, a severe storm broke out. And the cabin stop, uh, the captain stopped by her cabin to reassure her, and he found her sitting on her bunk, calmly reading her Bible. And he asked, aren't you afraid? No, she answered. I have a daughter in New York and a daughter in heaven, and I know that in two hours I'll see one of them. That's a good outlook. That's choosing to focus on the good rather than the bad. Uh, Paul explained in verse 12, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. He said, you know, me being thrown in the prison, that wasn't my first choice, but actually it's working out for good. That term advance the gospel, that's a military term to advance. It originally denoted making headway in spite of attack. It it depicted progress uh, amid difficulties. And so Paul chose to focus on the good, not the bad. And that's the very approach that he commanded us to follow in Philippians chapter four, verse eight. He said, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You know, Paul had planned to go to Rome as a preacher, and he ended up going to Rome as a prisoner. He found he had to use plan B, not the original script. And Paul chose to focus on the good and not the bad. In order to have joy when mistreated, we must choose to focus on the good and not the bad. That's the first lesson from Philippians 1. The the second lesson in verses 13 and 14 is to have joy when mistreated, you must choose to make the best of a bad situation. Paul took life's lemons and turned them into lemonade. And it had been made clear throughout the whole palace guard that Paul's imprisonment was for Christ. And so he determined, I will bloom where I am planted. He had every reason to throw a pity party. He could have complained, Lord, 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 I'm I'm trying to serve you. Come on. Riots, physical attacks, false accusations, verbal abuse, chains, stocks, mobs. 
I expect this from the enemies of Christ, but now those in the church are undermining my ministry. You're going to have to find another chosen instrument to the Gentiles. But instead, this was his attitude. Hi, what's your name? My name is Paul. Hey, while I've got you as my guard for the next eight hours, let me tell you how I ended up here as a prisoner. It's kind of a crazy story. I think you'll find it interesting, but I'd love to share it with you. May I? You know, when, when people eat at the world's largest McDonald's in Moscow, the average length of time to stand in line is nine and a half hours. Their, their big decision when they get up to the, to the front is whether to spend two weeks salary on a hamburger or splurge and spend three weeks salary on a Big Mac. And most of us get impatient when we pull up to the drive-through speaker and nobody greets us within 15 seconds. Well, as demanding, driven Americans, we need to learn to make the best of a bad situation. Wasn't that the same thing the Apostle Paul had to do here? His plan A concept of speaking for a a giant stadium event at the Colosseum in Rome had crashed and burned. Instead, he was chained to a Roman soldier and he had to make a choice. He made a decision to make the best of a bad situation. If he couldn't travel visiting and preaching for the churches he had helped start, he would bloom where he was planted. So instead of passing the time in prison by playing rock, paper, scissors with the guards, Paul chose to witness to the guards and tell them about his predicament, using it as the perfect opportunity to tell his captors about Jesus. And talk about a captive audience. I'm sure the guards wondered who was the the captive and who was the captor. And it soon became clear to them that this was no ordinary captive. It's not tough for us to imagine the result. Coming in close contact with this gracious, vibrant, forgiving, enthusiastic Christian had a life-changing effect on many of the guards, and they surrendered their lives to Jesus, the Jesus Paul loved. Through God's plan B approach, Paul was able to get the gospel into the elite palace guard, something he never could have penetrated had he been a free man. And so he made the best of his prison situation. This morning, regardless of what may be imprisoning you, like Paul, you can take some steps to make the best of your bad situation. Paul's testimony to the gospel of Christ had been born to all he encountered during the course of his imprisonment. Listen to how he described it in verse 13. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become 
confident in the Lord and they dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. When Paul was out and about, I think there was a tendency to say, well, I'll let Paul talk to them about Jesus. He can do a better job than I can. That's his gift. But now Paul is imprisoned. And so it forced other people to step up and to begin to develop and grow in confidence. And he said, now they are daring all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. He said, taking me out of circulation has really been good to get some other people off the sidelines and and serving. Madeline Lingle has accurately observed, I don't envy those who have never known any pain, physical or spiritual, because I strongly suspect that the capacity for pain and the capacity for joy are equal. Only those who have suffered great pain are able to know equally great joy. We are blessed with some very joy-filled people at Batesville Christian Church who demonstrate joy despite difficulty. These folks are not immune to hardship. In fact, each has experienced some great pain in this life. But each has an abiding joy that comes from God. They have chosen to make the best of a bad situation. And so when we get our focus right, it helps us avoid the isolation that our adversary Satan wants to create in his attempt to divide and and conquer us. So in order to to have joy when mistreated, let's review. We first must choose to focus on the good, not the bad. And second, we must make the best of a bad situation. And finally, Philippians 1 teaches us to have joy when mistreated, we must choose to determine to be positive, not negative. Actress Helen Hayes in her autobiography tells about her first effort to prepare a a turkey dinner for her family. It was Thanksgiving Day, and before serving it, she announced to her husband, Charles MacArthur, and her son, James, now you know that this is the very first turkey I've ever cooked. If it isn't any good, I don't want anybody to say a word. We'll just get up from the table without comment and we'll go to a restaurant. She turned and and went into the kitchen. When she reentered the dining room carrying the turkey, she saw her husband and son sitting at the table wearing their coats and hats. (laughs) That's real good for the old ego. You know, we often find it much easier to be critical, discouraging, and negative. But remember, joy is an attitude we choose to have. A good attitude is positive, not negative. Later in, in the book of Philippians, Paul makes another reference to joy. This four-chapter book is saturated with these references. And he commands, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. 
And if we don't rejoice today, we will not rejoice at all. If we wait until all of the conditions are perfect, we will still be waiting when we die. I I, I like the old country slogan, if you wait until all the lights are green, you're never going downtown. If we're going to rejoice, it must be in this day. The psalmist said in Psalm 118, verse 24, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Do people see his joy in you? Is the joy of the Lord obvious in your outlook? You can become a joyful person. With God's help, it it really is possible. The the biblical writers would not command it if it were not so. But joyfulness is a learned skill. And so you must take responsibility for your joy. Your joy is your responsibility. For some, that will come easily and naturally. For others, that will not come naturally you may be joy impaired. Uh, Each of us know a few people who are joy carriers. When we're around them, they breathe life into us, prize them, thank them. Above all, get intentional about being with them. That's important because there are other people in our lives who have rejected joy, who have decided to be victims. They don't want us to be joyful either. And if we allow it, they will drain the joy right out of us. So you may need to find a joy mentor, a person that you could spend time with that helps life change, enhance, produce joy in you and others. Begin to pray that the Spirit will produce that fruit of joy in a greater abundance in your life. Remember in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the listing of the, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace. It's, it's right up there. Further leading the way for us is the example of, of joys demonstrated by Christ himself. Hebrews 12, verse two begins, let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. And it talks about who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Jesus saw past the oppressive pain and he envisioned the outcome of trying to save the human race. And Jesus suffered for us to establish a way for us to spend eternity with him in heaven. He looked past the difficulty for the joy set before him. And you need to do the same. Don't let the the pressure of present difficulties obscure your eternal focus. It's a wonderful life in many ways, but in terms of eternal life in heaven, it's truly a wonderful life that has been offered to us. My second favorite Bible verse is, found in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. It assures us of joy despite difficulties. And Paul, 
who knew plenty about suffering, wrote, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. That means that if you put all of the hurt and injustice of this life that you've faced and you placed it in the balance opposite the glory of heaven that we will encounter, it means that heaven would tip the scale so drastically that this life's hardships aren't even worth mentioning when contrasted alongside the rewards of heaven. And that enables us to have joy despite difficulty. And though we don't know the final score and the category of difficulties which we will face in this life, we know that with God on our side, the outcome is secure. And now my number one favorite Bible verse, it's just a few verses later in that same chapter, Romans 8, 28 promises. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Nazi concentration camp survivor, Viktor Frankl asserted, the last of the human freedoms is to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. While the apostle Paul was in prison, he was unable to circulate among the churches in Asia Minor. An envious element was opposing him, intent on inflicting injury to the absent leader by producing division within the churches. And he describes that in verses 15 and 16. He said, it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Please recognize that Paul didn't suffer from blind optimism. He addressed things realistically, and then he sought to see the bright side, the the positive perspective. Paul's situation reminds us that it's possible for people to do the right thing for the wrong reason. It's possible for Christian people within the church to be divisive. And it's possible for God to work good even from sinful responses. Paul had the right idea. Be positive, not negative. God will judge. One of my favorite examples of divine justice is a story that took place in in California. Every night, Mrs. Hollis Sharp of Los Angeles took her miniature poodle, Jonathan, out for a walk so he could do his duty. And being a responsible citizen and a considerate neighbor, 
Mrs. Sharp always brought with her a newspaper and a plastic bag to clean up after Jonathan and an old discarded purse to transport the deposit back home for disposal. You have to think of your neighbors, she explained. On the night of November 13th, 1974, Jonathan finished his business, and as Mrs. Sharp was walking home with her purse in her right hand with the plastic bag inside it, a mugger attacked her from behind, shoved her to the ground, grabbed her purse, jumped into a car, and drove off with the spoils of his crime. Mrs. Sharp suffered a broken arm but remained good-natured about the incident. When interviewed, she said, I only wish there had been more in the bag. (laughs) Well, a good attitude is positive, not negative. Living life with joy is a choice. No one can make you happy. It is unrealistic to expect a spouse or a friend to make you happy. There is one exception to that statement. In fact, apart from this person, no one can find real joy. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God. The Bible says, whoever trusts in the Lord, happy is he. I want you to know the most joy-filled person who ever lived. I want you to let him come into your life and he can give you joy through every season of your life. You pray with me. Dear God, we thank you for your son, Jesus, who looked past the pain and suffering of the cross to see the positive outcome of redeeming the human race. And Lord, we thank you that this lesson that's 2,000 years old from a prison cell in Rome has a fresh relevance to each of our lives on how we will choose to live starting today. So Lord, we pray that we would choose joy, that we would rise above our circumstances, that you would shine through our lives, that others would see you living in us. Lord, if there are those who have never experienced the joy of surrendering their lives to your son, our prayer is that today would be that day of obedience and following him, serving him for the rest of their lives. We pray in his name.